Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, Tran Hermostis, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. I'm so excited to have our guest today. Gigi Robinson is somebody that I followed on social media for a while. She is like more than a decade. She's closer in age to my kids than she is to me, but that's okay. She's just, I've learned so much from her. And I think it's important to remember we don't always have to like age up in order to learn something because that younger generation is really coming through with a lot. Gigi was diagnosed with a chronic illness at age 11, and she now is a model, a photographer. She was a Sports Illustrated swim model. She also is an advocate in chronic illness and body confidence and has done a lot in small business world. She's been featured in Bustle, Business Insider, Forbes, Vogue Business. She combines that beauty and those brains at the Gen Z forefront as a thought leader in the content creation space. I'm really excited for you to listen to today's episode because I think it was just a really cool one to talk to somebody who was diagnosed with chronic illness at a young age and how she has sort of used that to propel her into so much more, especially her conversations around being a shy kid into being a confident woman. She also has a book out called A Kid's Book About Chronic Illness. I encourage you to check that out and enjoy today's episode. Gigi Robinson, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited. We we podcasted on yours a little bit back and it was such a great conversation. And now I'm excited to sort of dive into the topic of you. You are a Sports Illustrated swim model. You are an advocate for chronic illness. You have done so many things. You're so young. You've just championed people using their voice and showing up in this world Tell us a little bit about yourself. You said, I saw on your website that 10 years ago, you picked up a camera and the rest is sort of history. But what is actually that story? Did you envision yourself doing, you have the camera beside, (laughs) did you envision yourself like doing this? Was this like a dream? A lot of people sort of talk about now how there's a a rise in kids not wanting to be astronauts anymore. They want to be like Instagram influencers. And I was like, why is that a bad thing? I'm excited to sort of hear Mm. your story. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. And yeah, I'm excited for our episode to come out. It's in the queue. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, watch out for that. But 
I am 24. I turned 25 on May 10th. So I don't know when this is coming out, but I'll be half a quarter Cheers. of a century old yeah. soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm excited. I actually yeah. think it's an exciting age, an exciting time. There's like a lot of magic that can happen in, yeah. in that period. It's like really monumental. So that's kind of what's on my mind right now, just mm -hmm. on the, on the subject of my age, but I'm born and raised from New York City, so I'm a New Yorker at heart. I went to USC for undergrad and my master's, so I did my undergrad there in person in Los Angeles, but then COVID happened, so I did my master's fully remotely. Wow. Well, except I'll say hybrid because I did go there a couple times, but, yeah. you know, I, I just, I've always been somebody that wanted to champion making people feel confident and empowered regardless of what career or what like job title I had when mm. I picked up my camera for the first time as I as I wrote it really became about it was that era where people were shooting different profile pictures for Facebook and it was like oh my god if you don't have like a professional photo that gets like 150 likes then like you're not cool oh so, my god yeah. yeah yeah so that was when I really stepped into this world of like I guess that was social media, but I thought about mm -hmm. it more from a confidence angle of like, if I am the person that's bringing my camera with me and taking photos for people's Facebook profiles, then people are going to like, like me more and, it, you know, they'll trust me more and maybe they'll also feel confident about themselves. And that was like the most important thing. So as I studied photography through high school at the International Center of Photography and at LaGuardia, which is the fame school for mm. those who know the movie and know the school, I did that there. And then I went to USC and I studied it there. And it just really became about not photoshopping, using posing and lighting and really confidence and like building that relationship with my client or the subject, whoever that was. And as I did that, I just think it made me a lot more confident in doing it for myself. And I was posting simultaneously. So that's how it all kind of snowballed. But did I envision myself being like a public speaker and author and influencer? No, not at all. No. It's fascinating to me because I totally forgot about the fact that Facebook profile pictures used to be like Instagram. Like whenever you changed mm -hmm. it, it was like the thing. And I love yeah. that you just saw the opportunity to have other people get to see themselves in like such a beautiful light. And that's where it sort mm -hmm. of rooted from from there. But what was like before that, before you really started doing it, was there something as a kid or as you were growing up that really made you have a desire to sort of help others like instill confidence? Because it seems like the fact that you were so young and had that vision of, I just want other people to feel confident. I feel like a lot of us sort of go through a lot of life before landing in a space like that. So what was it for you that really made you lean into that? So you're probably going to think this is funny and then I'm not telling the truth, but I was actually a very shy person up no until way. my time at USC. Wow. Yeah. Like I, I was very shy. Like I was always the friend that, you know, when you bring a friend somewhere and you introduce them where you're like, yep. Oh, Hey, like I'm in a group. Here's my friend. Like I was always the friend that was getting introduced <laughs> because I was so shy and it was really, I don't know. I don't know why it's not that people didn't like me. I just really wasn't like out there. Like I just felt like so yeah. awkward and maybe that was just being a teenager, but I just have these memories of also not to mention my, my casts that I had like on my legs and the braces I had to wear on my hands for because of my chronic health issues. So like I wasn't cool wow. by okay. normal standards. And yeah. so because of that, I think as I was dealing with my health 
issues, I wasn't feeling good. And then photography became my outlet. And then I figured if I could help other people do it, that maybe then I could like gain a friend or like an ally and then become closer friends with them. And then like actually friends, like it wasn't like I was like strategically doing this. I was doing this for everyone. And then Mm -hmm. people kind of realized, oh, wow, you're like a cool, nice, easy person. You just want to help people. And that's really great. And then I started like making friends that way. But wow. also I did grow up in a Tony Robbins household. So I had exposure to a lot of mindset coaching and a lot of mm. my dad's friends, especially who are women that went through that, that yeah. were able to relate to me. Cause like my dad can't really relate to like a mean girl situation, but yeah. his friends who are life coaches could talk to me in a way that's like, you know, okay, me girls happen. Here's what you can do to get through that. So I think it was a little bit of a combination. So how do you go from the shy girl who's picking up a camera to being a sports illustrated model? <laughs> like that is, and it's not that big, like a, a time stamp. like that. When you look at those photos, I couldn't have imagined that you were a shy kid. So yeah, like walk me through Walk me through how that happened because one, I've applied before. It's not, it, it takes, it takes like a lot to even apply and to be like, the reality is if I get chosen, that's a real thing. And those photos of you in that sports, how was like the whole thing from application to actually yeah. doing it? Talk me through what that felt like, yeah. especially as somebody who didn't grow up overly confident, who maybe is a shy mm-hmm. girl stepping into confidence. Yeah. So I think a big thing, thing for me with my confidence was when I moved across the country from New York City to Los Angeles for college, I was like, F this. I have no better time than now. If I decide to be shy, then I decide to be shy and I might be hindering myself from a cool opportunity. So I just really decided to put myself out there when I moved Mm -hmm. across the country and just be like, you know what? Not everyone's going to like me and that's okay. Like, I think a big part about confidence is a lot of people think if you're confident enough that everyone will like you, but that's not the reality. Like a lot of people don't like confident people because they no longer have control over you in certain situations. (gasps) Oh my God. Yeah. That's a big one. Especially in college, you're like meeting new people. Right. And if you're not confident and if you don't set your boundaries straight, then people can take advantage of you. And I also like, this was a learning curve. I'm saying it in a very, you know, reflective way where I can think back now and say, I wish that I was even more firm because Mm. I dealt with like mean girls and sororities and things like that throughout my undergrad, which was really stressful for me on top of my health issues. But I think part of it was just that I knew that the end goal was to just continue to help people, whether that was in media, like I thought I was going to be a photographer shooting movie posters potentially or magazine covers. That's what I really wanted to do. And I was like, maybe I'll be able to work with celebrities and that, Mm -hmm. you know, in LA, that's just kind of the nature of it. Yeah. And I joined a social media club called USC Reach. And I was founded by and created by creators and people in the industry. And so as I went through that, I just kind of stepped in front of the camera one day. And that was really how my social media unfolded. And then, unfortunately, I was dealing with professors and also students not believing how sick I was. And so oh. I had to figure out a way to articulate myself. Like, I was confident enough to say, oh, like, I could be late or here's my 504 disability form, no further questions. 
but I, I didn't know how else to push back. So I just started making art about it, posting to different support groups on Facebook. And then as that happened, I feel like that's where I really started to gain my voice of like, oh, this is like a problem. Like I shouldn't have been in a situation where four separate teachers resisted my, you know, disability accommodations. That's like a yeah. pretty big problem. And so it just made me really passionate about it. So that's kind of how it all happened. And it, it wasn't all easy, but I just figured if I, I'm the one that's going to be holding myself back or I'm going to be the one that's pushing myself forward. So mm -hmm. why would I not choose the, the more positive uplifting route that's mm -hmm. helped me in the end of the day than like being more shy about it? Like nothing's going to just come to you on a silver platter. So that said, Flash forward. Also, I don't know if you want me to pause before I tell the whole SI story or not. No, go for it. I'm I'm just like jaw dropped right now. But yes, keep going. Tell the SI story. <laughs> so I think part of the SI thing was I had seen a girl from USC land rookie the year before in 2021. Mm -hmm. Katie Austin landed it. And oh, it yeah, I remember me. Katie I Austin. Like, yeah. Yeah. I was like, she went to USC. I've literally been in the same room at her at different times in my academic career. Like if like not her, then like, why not me? So mm -hmm. I just decided to come up with this idea where I was like, if I submit, I'm not going to just be submitting for like body positivity, because I think that's a great thing. And I think that a lot of brands and a lot of media companies are working towards that in today's mm -hmm. world. I just think something that's really untalked about is the invisible health issues that a lot of women deal with specifically. Yes. Like mm -hmm. disability is also something that's getting shown. And I do think that the company could do better at showing people with physical disabilities mm -hmm. in their casting calls. However, I think last year specifically, they had this initiative called Pay With Change, where they were focused yes. on, you know, they worked with a couple of brands that donated certain amounts of advertising space to, you know, just different female empowered brands that were there to help women. And I just thought, wow, this is a really smart marketing tool. And I would love to be a part of this campaign. So I kind of looked at it from a lens of like, holistically, how can I use my platform to pay with change? And help people dealing with invisible health issues. Mm -hmm. So I think I ultimately just started, I just, I just really started with that idea and that prompt. And I always tell this story and it's so funny because I had seen that rookie announcement for Katie in September of 2021. So we're going like almost a year and a half back. And I saw it and I was out on a date with this guy from my past and was just like, yeah, like, He's like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I'm going to be in Sports Illustrated next year. And he like laughed in my face. So I'm like, <gasps> haha, this is funny, right? And I'm in Florida. I don't know what Florida has to do with this story, but just it's a key plot line <laughs> for the story. So we're in Florida. Then I go down again a couple months later for Art Basel with my friend. Yes. And I like lose track of time. And I'm like, oh, crap, like our flight is tomorrow morning and I only have one more sunset. It's a gorgeous sunset. I have to run. So I like leave my friend. I rush to the beach. I do all of this, you know, different posing and different outfits and things like that. 
that just to get my content to be kind of like B-roll, right? Just me running mm-hmm. away, mm-hmm. me sitting mm-hmm. there, meditating, posing, whatever. And then, so that was in Florida. Then I come home and I start putting it together with my video editor and we f- work on the final revisions while I'm in Florida again. Okay, cool. <sighs> Time goes on. I submit on February 14th, I think, which was I okay. think Valentine's Day or the Valentine's 13th Day. in yeah. 2022. Yeah. Okay. Last year. Then two weeks later, I'm in Florida again and I'm at a stoplight and I get a call and it was like, yeah, like you've made it. Like, and <gasps> I was just like, how the F was I in Florida for all of this? And like, what yeah. is the commonality? And for me, Florida is a place where I go to ground myself. Like I'm in New York City, Same at big Disney. air energy. You just need that, like your toes in the sand. Like, I know it may sound yeah. funny, but I just like, for me, it's so cathartic to be there. I could just like get lost in the sound of the waves. I could mm, journal for hours and I, I, I just, I that. can't do that here. Yeah, and so I yeah, think, yeah. I think part of it was being able to set myself up with a like the correct intention. And mm. once I had that, I was able to then come up with a script that was really like, okay, you're telling a story of resilience and courage and advocacy and like what more could could you want so yeah that's the story that's so fascinating because when I did mine I was just like I don't know I think I was so mentally putting it off for so long that I didn't really write the script I was just like you know what I'll just Mm. submit and it was like a post and ghost sort of story where I was like I'll just submit my thing and then I'll walk away and my whole thing was like I just wanted to be the person to like really rock a stretch mark um for SI and like who knows maybe one day it'll happen I don't even care the step of applying and just knowing what your intention is like my intention was there but to know that yours was so loud and part of your why and seeing that that was like based on the success and that connecting piece of doing it in a place that you were grounded. Because I think that so many people apply and it's always so fascinating to see who gets chosen and for why. Mm -hmm, And just, mm -hmm. I also love that you get to see, like, it's the girl, I like follow one of the girls who got chosen this year and I didn't even have like an ounce. I was just so happy for her because I was like, this is so cool because her story is getting told. And I think that's what's really interesting about Sports Illustrated is I follow so many of these people now because their stories were, I learned of them through a swim campaign. That's incredible that this is like this conduit of conversation now. And the last few years have gotten louder and louder and bigger and more talked about. I love Mm -hmm. that yours is chronic illness because I grew up with a mom with chronic illness and I have an understanding of it because I had to understand it. I grew up around somebody Mm -hmm, who mm -hmm. had to vocalize when she wasn't well and then had to watch her go through it so invisibly in front of everybody else. You went to, Mm -hmm, so I mm -hmm. learned it in real time as a kid. Now I don't have chronic illness myself, but you wrote a kid's book about chronic illness. Yes. Why did you decide to write for kids? Because it doesn't seem like a big kid topic, but I'm fascinated to hear what your, again, what that intention was. Where did that come from, your desire to speak into kids about chronic illness and invisible illness? Yeah, I think what you mentioned kind of at the top of the show was really about what did you do or what did you become to kind of like heal your inner child, right? Mm. Like what what did I need as a kid that I lacked? And it was really kind of an explanation and someone telling me it was okay other than my parent. It's easy for a parent when you're when you get a bruise or you break your leg to be like, it's okay, like you're gonna get through this. But when it's chronic, 
it can, those words can kind of lose their meaning. It just feels Mm -hmm. like an endless pit. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to remind kids that they can choose resilience, even if it's hard, and they can choose to be courageous and brave. I mean, telling someone about a chronic health issue, especially if it's invisible, is really scary, right? Like even in college, like I mentioned, when I had to stand my ground and tell friends like, sorry, I can't go out, like I'm sick, they thought I was bluffing and that I was like Mm -hmm. not wanting to hang out with them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, did my friendships from college survive? No. They didn't because Mm. other people lacked compassion and empathy to truly understand how challenging it was to deal with the health issue. Also, 3000 miles away from my family. So there's like that element. But for kids specifically, it's like, how do you help them articulate themselves when they can't explain it? Like, how do you explain what kind of pain you're in? Like Mm. a lot of times the doctors are like, oh, like what hurts? What kind of pain is it? Right. Like. How do you even say that? Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, like it just, I have a sharp needle pain in the, the middle of my back and it, it it's radiating out from the left middle side of my back down through my spine. And because of that, it's hard to sit. And like, that's like a very specific nuanced way to talk about it. So you learn a lot about talking about your bodies. And I mm-hmm. think when you're a kid, you just, you don't always know how to do that. So your parent yeah. is doing it for you. And so I just kind of wanted to bridge that gap also for parents to like understand, okay, this is maybe the sentiment that your kid has. And then you could read it with them and and have discussions. And that's something I wish I did have a little bit more of where it wasn't just Mm -hmm. my mom kind of like making these appointments for me because my stomach hurt. Like Mm. what kind of stomach pain do you have? And and what, like really paying attention to it and what your symptoms are and explaining what a symptom is, like Mm -hmm. explaining that not all health issues are visible. Like that's a big concept for young kids to understand that like, Mm-hmm. oh, you don't have a broken leg. That doesn't mean you're not in pain. Yeah. So I just think it was honestly something I wanted. And I also wanted to kind of touch parents in a way because a lot of my audience is more women dealing with health mm-hmm. issues or younger yeah. people my age. But yeah. I wanted to hit parents because it's a new demographic, first of all, like yeah. in terms of marketing, but also in terms of messaging and being able to be someone that their kids could look up to as a resource or that the parents could look down to as a resource, which I thought was a unique opportunity. You were 11 when you were diagnosed, right? Mm-hmm. Did it take a long time to get that diagnosis? Because the one thing that I've heard a lot from those who have invisible illnesses and chronic illness is that it took so long for them to get a diagnosis. So it's not that they didn't have it as a child. It's that it took so long to find that language, to find that, to get that advocacy happening, to get doctors to hear them. What was your experience in actually getting diagnosed? Yeah. So Again, I I address this all the time because I think it's a very important part of my story is that I grew up in New York City. So Mm. I grew up with some of the best healthcare doctors in and around the city. Not only that, but a lot of the hospitals here are training hospitals where doctors are constantly flying in for their residency and their fellowships to learn and to really grow and to think outside of the box. And I think part of my journey is that I was at HSS seeing like the best orthopedic, they're number one for pediatric orthopedics. And so when I was having issues, I just had a doctor and she was like, oh, I think you could have this. Like it was just one day. Mm-hmm. She just kind of mm-hmm. like said it after me having consistent injuries. So it took like 
three or four injuries before we came back. So it was like three years from like probably eight or nine to 11 to truly pinpoint what was happening. I mean, there was talks about like psoriatic arthritis or rheumatoid arthritis. And then there's the talks about like the medications you'll go on. And then if you go on the wrong medication for the wrong thing, it's like uh, very challenging challenging to navigate also as a parent, right? Like you want to mm-hmm. see your kid in pain. So you're like, what do I do here? So I think it was that also my mom works in healthcare. So I think okay. that also added to having her advocate for me. She's a nurse. So yeah. she was able to not only be there for me, but to know people in the hospital, to know yeah. how to work the system. Yeah, And that is, and also to have incredible health insurance. So all of those three things are, I think, really important. And also, you know, immense privileges that I had Mm -hmm, in getting mm -hmm. diagnosed early that helped me with my, my journey and my story. And so it was rare. It's rare to get diagnosed at a young age with something like that. But just because I was diagnosed at a young age, I don't think it helped me cope any better because for Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, there's like no cure. It's only management of your symptoms. Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. we could put me on pain medication, then my liver levels go up and then I can't be on the medication and then I have to get off of it. And then I have to go to physical therapy two times a week. And then everyone's like, what are you doing after school? And I'm like, going on, going to lunch with my mom. Like I was so embarrassed that I had health issues, that I had a disability. You know, I had to use your wheeling backpack. I had to use the elevator. I had to use an iPad. Like I got all of these questions. And I think that also is something that made me shy now that I'm thinking about it. It was like maybe a little bit of just kind of like feeling bad, feeling pity for Mm -hmm. myself, like being Mm -hmm. like, I don't want anyone to like know my dirty little secret that I'm sick. Like that was kind of, I think maybe what it felt like, like it was shame. I've noticed a lot of, you know, when we have conversations about bodies and body confidence and stuff online, there's often this tagline that comes with like, as long as you're healthy and as long as you're this, how as somebody with chronic illness, how do you sort of find and navigate your way through a lot of this worth being put on health? I'm not saying that we shouldn't be seeking health. I love seeking health, but it's such a spectrum. And I think it's, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, I would just be curious to hear your thoughts on how it feels when people put such an importance on health as somebody with chronic illness. Yeah. So I think that in the context of health being a trend, Mm -hmm. it can be really challenging because there really is no universal health. Right. There's no universal code for what's healthy. And in today's world, I'm pretty sure that everyone usually has something. If they don't have something, they know someone has something. And so at the very least, I think that if if you can frame health in the context of how can you how can you best live within the parameters that you're given, whether that's financial. Right. Like, let's take that Mm, as an example. Growing up in New York City, I and, you know, around great food, healthy options, like a lot of options even is way different than growing up in a suburban town in the middle of America where there's not as many options. And Mm -hmm. so, and there's not as many doctors to monitor my health. Yes. And so in the instance where maybe I'm gaining weight at the same rate as somebody else is gaining weight in another city in New York, they might actually look at my health issue because there's far I think there's less things. I mean, there's there's more things that I'm able to choose from that are less likely to be causing my health issues. Whereas in a suburban town, if, you know, maybe your family gets fast food a lot, they might just say, oh, you're gaining weight. 
right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's the difference where in New York, they're saying, oh, you eat on a healthy diet, you walk everywhere, you're gaining weight and you have pain, mm-hmm. like something's off versus in a suburban town, they might just say you gained weight because you eat too much junk food. And yeah, so I think yeah, that yeah. like thinking about health that way based on like socioeconomics and like geography is very important for this conversation um, and for people to kind of realize. And then on top of that, I think also as an adult, there's a couple of different avenues here. So I also recently got diagnosed with endometriosis in December. Yeah. So that was also a process, right? Like I had had all this pain for years and my doctor just said, I think you should go get the laparoscopy. I pushed it off for a year and a half. I finally saw a surgeon who literally she read all of my records. Like I've never had a doctor read every single record Mm. from my 10 year, 10 plus year history. And she just said, I really think you can have this. Like your symptoms seem like you have it. Nothing has worked for you. Like let's do the surgery. If you have it, then we'll excise all the endometrial tissue that's in the wrong spots that we'll just get it out. And hopefully you'll be feeling better. And so I did that in December. And it came back. They, I did have endometriosis. And at the end of the day, I feel so much better. And so oh, I'm glad. it's great there. So then there's one other thing that I did. I also had gotten a blood test because my doctor had said, go see the allergist again. So mm-hmm. I went and coincidentally, I got this blood test done like the same week right before my surgery, just so that I could go do my pre-op blood work and just yeah. like get it all done. And so it comes back that I have this specific tick bite allergy. And as a result, it alters the blood sugar in my blood and it makes my body react every time I was eating a a product from meat or like gelatin or something like that. So I basically had to switch my entire diet to go fully gluten-free and vegan. And so that's a huge swing. So a huge, I was already like 90% vegan. I just Mm -hmm. had to like there was just like a couple little things here and there. And then the gluten-free thing is like a lot more challenging. Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest thing that I learned from the past five months of being gluten-free and vegan is there's two things. The first thing is I had issues with binge eating. I was so scared of being fully vegan and gluten-free because I was so worried that I was going to just resort back to binging because a treatment that my doctors had always told me growing up for IBS or for acid reflux was to go on the low FODMAP diet. And that diet is so hard when you're in school as a kid, Mm -hmm. as a teenager, when everyone just wants to eat junk food and you can't do it. So I would binge eat on that. So I was just so triggered by the idea of being vegan means you're on a diet versus being vegan and gluten-free, it's a lifestyle shift. I'm mm-hmm. eating for my body now. I'm no longer eating a big amount of protein so that I don't have to eat for the whole day. I'm eating when I'm hungry. And yeah. I think that it's actually been really healing for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been the biggest thing. And so when I think about health as a trend, when people are being vegan to be trendy or people are going gluten-free because they think it's healthier, mm-hmm. that's not that's not necessarily what's best for your body. Yeah. And I'm not trying to impose for other people to always be vegan and gluten-free because that doesn't always, that's not always what's best for them. Yeah. And I think it's a really important thing that you noted there that like 
diet, the word diet is, it has been disordered. It essentially isn't a disordered thing. What you eat in a day is not disordered. How you eat for your health is not disordered until it becomes that way. When people create create diets that are blanketed towards like millions of people assuming their health, assuming what they need. It's so dangerous, right? So it's important to note that we have to be sort of in tune. Like I have, I break out in a blistering rash when I have gluten. I don't have the same gastrointestinal issues that a lot of people have. Mine presents very differently. I get like IBS C and then I get this rash. So Mm -hmm. I'm like very accustomed to it now. But when I was diagnosed, I was the person that I was serving at the time. I'm not proud of this. But like when people would say they're gluten-free, I was like, what a joke. Like that's just a trend. It was just like a thing I didn't actually believe Mm -hmm. that there was people that like struggled with this in a really real way until it was me. And it really woke me up to like a lot of the judgments and a lot of like that trend setting stuff. And the reality that a lot of people need to eat a certain way for their very specific health, which is why diet is so nuanced and so separate from diet culture. Diet culture is making it that you, that there's good and bad foods based on morality, not your own personal experience with those foods. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine if somebody with a peanut allergy was just like, it was just trendy to just not eat peanuts? I'm sure they would be relieved in some sense, but in the others, it would be like, I need you to take this seriously. Mm -hmm. Don't put peanuts on my plate. Like this is a very different story. Even to this day, when I tell somebody I'm gluten-free, they're like preference or allergy. And it's just the fact that it is, that it has been sort of become a trend. And I think it's important for us to remember that just because we need to tailor how we eat and our nutritional intakes because of our health and in seeking living our best life, if we can afford to do so, if we have access to those things, that it is not being on a diet. And you can have one thing that I've been really practicing in the last six months is going into the same spaces and having different experiences. So you Mm. formerly may have struggled with dieting and diet and like diet culture and binge eating due to limitations that were put on your diet. But now you're going back in that same space with a different diet and having a different experience. And that just speaks so strongly to why nuance is nuance, why our experiences are so individual and not just individual, but like time stamped. They can, you can have a different, I'm back at the same gym that I used to be so disordered at and I'm having a new experience. I'm married again after getting divorced and thinking marriage was like not it. I'm married mm-hmm. again. New experience, like new experiences in the same places or the same things that you've done before is really, really beautiful. I think everything you do is really super cool. And I'm so excited that we got to know you a little bit more today. For everyone that's interested in following along on your journey and also checking out the book, where can they find you? Just plug yourself away. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Really covered a lot. I agree with the nuance listening and you do have issues with eating to just do your best to not let yourself. I guess, dictate what you're eating based on what other people are eating or what they Mm -hmm. say they're eating and do what's really best for you at the end of the day Mm -hmm. and just be confident in that and know that maybe, maybe because like sometimes you do feel shamed if you don't eat the right, the the, the right thing or like you get something that somebody else doesn't like when people order meat at the table with me, I'm not like the happiest like, because I'm just like, oh, like it's a little triggering, Yeah, but you know, I'm not going to force somebody who I love to eat a different way around me. If they do, then like, I appreciate that, but yeah. I'm not trying to be like, Hey, 
eat a certain way. Anyway, um, you can follow me along at it's Gigi Robinson everywhere. So the word it's and then just my name. And my book is called A Kid's Book About Chronic Illness, which you can get on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, the A Kid's Company website, or you could just go to my website, ggrobinson.com slash book, and you will see all of the information about my book there. And yeah, that's pretty much all that I have. Also follow me on LinkedIn. I talk a lot about unique, uh, you know, workplace perspectives on LinkedIn for Gen Zers that we we could probably do a whole other 30 minute rundown on one day. Oh my God. I love that you just plugged LinkedIn. That was so nostalgic for me. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much. It was honestly uh, really nice to connect with somebody who's such an advocate and such an amazing person, just especially at such a young age to be able to talk and take on some of these topics is so inspiring for multiple reasons and for multiple generations. I think everything you're doing is awesome. And for everyone listening, we would have everything in the show notes for you. And uh, so check out Gigi's work and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening all the way through this episode. If you've made it this far, I have one more little thing to share with you. Did you know that I actually have a photo and video editing app? So many people were surprised to hear that I have one, but it's actually been around for a little while and you can join over 200,000 of the Papaya community by downloading my free app, Pink Papaya on iOS. While so many apps focus on changing your appearance, Pink Papaya is all about celebrating yourself for exactly who you are and expressing your creativity and your storytelling with nearly 50 free filters and tools. Find us on social and share your edits as well. We might just share them too. So tag me as well at Pink Papaya app. Just had to share that with you, especially as the springtime's coming. We've got some really cool things happening in there and so much more coming. Check it out at Pink Papaya app. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.